Please join me in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for what they teach us about you and your love for us. And I pray now for your help as I preach, that you would clarify my words and thoughts, that they would accurately represent you, that you would open our hearts to receive you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I welcome you this morning, especially if you're visiting. It's a good, good time to visit. So we are starting into a new sermon series. And um, in fact, we have three sermons, this one included, until Alpha starts on February 10th. So these three sermons are in this series on abundance for others, and I'll explain that in a second. But I'm going to focus on the why, the why of Alpha, the why of inviting people. And then the next two weeks, the sermons will focus on some of the, the how, how to do it practical things about um, not just Alpha, but reaching out with the gospel, witnessing to others. The um, sermon series is entitled Abundance for Others, and that comes out of the word that I think the Lord has for us for 2019. I shared it on Vision Sunday that He has made us strong and has brought a lot of abundance to our church, and that's not just for ourselves. It actually is for others, and He wants us to use that to reach out. And we're going to look at some things this year uh, that we can do to live into that word. So today my text is from Luke chapter 15. It's page 874, um, as you heard. And if you want to turn there, that'd be helpful. These are three very well-known parables, all about lost things being found and then the rejoicing of the one who finds them. Jesus is teaching and he tells these three parables. One's about a sheep, one's about a coin, and one's about a son. And we only read the one about the sheep this morning. But because of the context and what Jesus is trying to communicate, I'll comment on all three because you sort of need all three to understand the bigger picture of being lost and being found and what that means for us. And I think we're going to see two things in here. One is the heart of God for lost people being found and also for people who are at times lost, how good it is to be found by him, the goodness of God, as we just sang. As, as a preacher, I'm always aware of the various audience participation. So who, who's out there? Young, old, Christian, non-Christian, visitor, longtime member, all these different things. And what I found refreshing this week as I studied is it is an absolute universal experience. Every single one of you in here, regardless of your age, you know what it feels like to feel lost. You know what it feels like to have lost something. And you know what it feels like to rejoice when you found it whether it's your uh, toy that you lost under your crib or it's a person, a relationship, a job, a number of things. Think about the feelings of being lost, for instance, in, in school, going to a new school, being the new kid in the class and not knowing anyone. Everybody else seems to know everyone. Internally, there's this sense of, I don't fit in here yet. And, and it feels like you're lost or you don't know the way to go in the building. Where is my next class? I'm just wandering around with my schedule. I'm lost. I feel lost. Or driving around today, if you're somebody who drives a lot, we just rely entirely on the GPS. We don't ask for directions anymore. We certainly don't have a paper map. When the GPS isn't working, it is really disorienting. You don't know where literally the next road is, and it might be just the one neighborhood over from you. You don't know your neighborhoods anymore because we just follow whatever the thing says and we're, until it's not working. And then we feel really lost. We know what that feels like. Or, you know, I, somebody in my life that I love dearly really likes Ikea, and that place makes me lost <laughs> intentionally. 
We go in to buy one thing, and I'm wandering in a warehouse thinking, I'm really, really lost in here. We also know the feeling of having lost something important. And you remember that TV show, Family Feud, where they would do a survey of Americans to get the top answer, and then you'd have to guess what the survey answer was? Imagine what the answer is to this question. What's something that people often lose? Keys. Keys. Survey says, number one, keys. Yes, we all know what that's like. We lost our keys, or sometimes it's a wallet. Or there are other things, though, that aren't uh, in, uh, objects, like l- losing a job, or a friendship, or um, a championship game, or a bet. There's lots of different things that can be lost. Or a pet, a dog, or a cat. I, it, it makes me sad for whoever has lost their pet when I see the sign in the neighborhood on the tree that has a picture of somebody's puppy, and it just says, I lost my dog, please call this number. And you know, you know what they're feeling. You can immediately empathize with that, and you think, oh, I hope they find their pet, because that's just such a terrible feeling. But we also know what it feels like when you do find the thing or the person, or the dog, or whatever. It's like, Eureka, I found it. I mean, literally in Greek, that's what that means. It's like, there are my keys, ah! And there's this great relief that comes over us when that happens. You know, um, I came across some really interesting news, kind of B-tape footage of an ABC uh, reporter. Uh, this, this is from 2013. You could, you could look it up. It's all over uh, the internet, like everything is forever. So you can, you can find this later. Uh, Robert McDonough is the guy's name. He's 73. This was up in Maine in May. And he was uh, suffering dementia. And he wandered out of his house about four o'clock in the afternoon and got lost. And his family couldn't find him. And then they enlisted the neighbors and they couldn't find him. And then they enlisted the police and they couldn't find him. And they went late into the night in a search and he had not come home. So the police were at the station uh, getting a plan together for a full-blown search for this man um, at first light. And this news reporter is setting up at the last place he was seen on this kind of remote road. And it, it curves and it goes down a hill into some a tree wooded area. And he's waiting there with the camera for the scene to clear. And, you know, I'm sure he's thinking through what he's going to say. You know, Joe Schmo reporting live for ABC, blah, blah, blah. This morning we're looking for so-and-so. He's getting ready to say that. And they're waiting for the scene to clear because there's a guy in the frame messing up the picture, walking like this up the road with his hands in his pockets, deeply in thought, just kind of, he's like going somewhere, but not going somewhere, you know, like, it, and, and, be, and, and so he, the reporter doesn't know who it is, so he's like this, and the guy walks up, and he's finally like, okay, get out of my frame, buddy, and he goes, hey, how you doing? He goes, good, and the guy keeps walking, and then he, and then the reporter starts making the connection, and he's like, wait a, wait a minute, <laughs> and the reason I've seen it is because it, it just is so quirky how they found him that it got picked up. It was like on the LA news and went kind of around the country there in 2013. And then, and then there's more news footage of the deputies there. Finally, they all get there and they're asking him questions and, you know, sir, it was really cold last night. Are you cold? No, I'm okay. And he's kind of mumbling. He's sort of quiet and his feet are wet. Like he's been walking in a creek and he's got some, like he cut his hands. So he's got a little blood on his arm, but he's mostly good. He has no idea that he's lost. He has no idea that they're all there because of him. He's just kind of answering the questions. And you watch the face of the deputy asking him these questions with the, the look of relief. Like, I can call off the search party. This man is okay. I can get him back to his family. And he's like, ah, this is going to be a good day in the sheriff's office because we found the guy or he got found. He, he just wandered into the scene. It's really interesting. Look it up. It's Robert McDonough. You'll, you'll find it very easily on YouTube. But that's just a small illustration of the relief that comes over someone when a lost person has been found. God is so much more relieved when someone who is lost gets found. 
when they are wandering from his ways and his kingdom, and then they're brought back in. God rejoices over that. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is talking about the heart of God for the lost. In fact, Luke summarizes, Jesus, quoted in Luke, summarizes his ministry in saying that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. Now, in Luke chapter 15, there's a problem which precipitates these three parables. The religious leaders are grumbling because Jesus welcomes sinners. And he doesn't just welcome these sinners and tax collectors, he eats with them, which is implicit approval of them. Now, Jesus, of course, didn't approve of sinful behaviors, which some of them had. They weren't all necessarily sinners in a moralistic sense. The religious leaders used that as a way to put down those people that didn't follow the religious rules. If they didn't walk the right walk and do all the religious stuff that the religious leaders said they should do, they got dubbed sinners. They're sinners. They're bad people. Now, some of them were caught up in moral sins. Some of them weren't. But Jesus welcomed everyone, and the ones who were coming in were the ones that were the notorious sinners, and the ones that weren't coming in were the religious leaders. The religious leaders wanted to keep a divide. They wanted to keep the the holy stuff, the church stuff here, and keep the other people over here. And Jesus was bridging that and bringing them close. And it was messy. And it caused grumbling. And they didn't like it. Some of them were jealous because of the crowds that Jesus was attracting. But see, he came to seek and save the lost. And the lost were being found. And they were coming in. It's such a delight to see it. Jesus wanted to close the gap between the religious behavior and those who were lost. In fact, he thought the point of his people was to be a light to those that were lost so they could find their way back. That's one of the things I love so much about like Christmas and Easter is our attendance like doubles or more and people come back into the church and there's a temptation. I'll admit it. And I think many of you feel it too. There's a temptation to feel a holier than thou attitude of like, I do this every week. I'm one of the good ones. I'm committed and you're an outsider. And there's a temptation to put people down in that moment. And I don't think that blesses the heart of God. In fact, I love getting to say, you are welcome here. God is pleased that you've come into his house on this night or this Easter Sunday or whatever it is. Even if you've been gone for a long time, the Lord delights that you're here today. And I love when they say things like, well, don't sit too close to me in my pew because the lightning bolt's going to hit here, right? A lot of times people feel that. And I get to say, no, the lightning bolt already hit. It hit the tall tree on Calvary and it struck that. That's where the wrath of God hit. You're safe in this pew because Jesus took it. He took it on your behalf. So you're forgiven. You can be accepted in. That's the good news. It's such a refreshing thing. And that's the heart of God in these, these parables. Now, we're also seeing in these three parables the misery of being lost. And there are a lot of different nuances to being lost, even in some of the illustrations that I shared a minute ago. We've got a sheep. We have a coin and we have a son in these three parables. Think about a sheep with me for a minute. They're notoriously short-sighted. They're focused on the patch of grass right in front of them. And they munch on that and then that and then that. And then they're in the next meadow over and they're utterly unaware of surroundings. So they're not paying attention to where the rest of the sheep are or the shepherd, unless he's calling them, or danger if it's coming. They're just blind and self-centered. Many of us. In fact, Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We are like sheep. Now, Psalm 95 that Jessica prayed, or Scott read for us, talks about being the sheep of his pasture. Like, like we're 
precious to him. He's a good shepherd and he cares for us, but he knows, as the hymn says, we are prone to wander. We are tempted to become blind and self-centered. I'm just going to care for my needs here and forget that there's all this other stuff going on that God cares about. Sheep. Then there's a coin. A coin is dead, physically dead. It can't cry out. It can't wander its way back into the purse that it fell out of. It's just lifeless and dead. And it speaks of the hopelessness that everyone has apart from God's intervention. So Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. I preached a sermon on this back in November, and I mentioned that being dead means you don't know you're dead until you come alive, and then you realize that you were dead. And at the end of the sermon, I said, if that's describing what you're experiencing, I'd love to talk to you. Come see me. Well, imagine my surprise when an atheist called me up, or a former atheist called me up, and he said, a friend of mine who goes to your church sent me the reference to that sermon. I listened to it, and at the end, you said, if it describes you, to come. So here I am. So he's in my office, and he was telling me a story. Four years ago, he was not a believer. He didn't think God was real or existed, and his life was going well, so he didn't have any calamities. He was at work one day, and he felt, or he heard the voice of God. He's like, honestly, I don't know if it was audible or just in my head. And I said, well, what did he say? And, he, and God said to him, can we talk? That was it. And it scared him so badly that he left work and didn't go back the rest of the day. And it put him, it was like a nudge from the Holy Spirit, shoved him. And he was trying to, um, to figure out what to do with this. And it was everywhere he turned, there was God and there was God. And it's like, it's like the entire universe was saturated with God and he suddenly was aware of that. He was dead and then the light was turned on. He later was baptized. He got discipled at this other church. And um, he's been telling everybody about God for four years. And he said, so I'm looking for more. What's, what can I do? I said, well, you should come be an alpha leader. And I think he's actually going to be one of our group leaders. So if you're doing alpha, you can, I'll let you try to figure out which one it is. <laughs> but the coin is dead until the Spirit of God breathes life into it. And then there's the son, right? The prodigal son. And we all know this parable, or many of us, I suspect, know it, about waywardness, about drifting away. The son, his major problem is he wants to cast off authority. He wants to be his own authority. He doesn't want anyone over him. He wishes his father dead so he could get the money and the inheritance and go live and do whatever he wants. However, his plan fails because he doesn't have self-control. He wastes the money, and then calamity comes on the whole land, and he's in poverty. And he starts to realize the folly of his ways. Now, this, this sin of wanting to be our own independent person with no authority is the original rebellion against God, right? That was the temptation of Satan in the garden. Surely you won't die. If you eat of this, you will be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. God wants to be God, and he doesn't want to share that with you. And if you eat this, you can become your own God. That's basically the temptation, is to think God is bad, and I don't want him to be my Lord. I want to be my own God. Of course, just like the prodigal son, it doesn't go well. We weren't intended to live that way. We don't have omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence and all the omnis that God has. We are finite and he is infinite. He is the Lord. There's one God. And we were meant to worship and serve him. And if we get out from under that, bad things happen. But here's the good news. Right away, even in the Garden of Eden, we see God favoring his people, even his people that have now 
spiritually died and fallen away from him. He's pursuing them, and they're hiding in the garden. In this prodigal uh, son story, we see a father constantly watching the end of the road, waiting for his son. Maybe today will be the day he comes back. And when he sees him, he runs for him. Doesn't even wait for the speech. Doesn't even wait for the you know, repentance speech. He just instantly receives him. And just like that, Jesus is saying, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 that need no repentance. There's joy over 99 that need no repentance. There's just more joy over one sinner that repents than over the ones that don't need to. That's the heart of God. We see this, and Jesus is just, it's just so shocking when you realize that. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and he's been doing that for 2,000 years. He's still in the work of doing it. Now, there's a second tag on my, my main point here. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and enlist our help in that work. It's amazing that he includes us in his work. He certainly doesn't need us for it, but he does. That's his plan. He includes us to help the other ones who are lost get found. Now, before you can start into the what do I do with this, you have to have something to give away. I want, I want to encourage you to think about those three things, the sheep, the coin, and the sun. The sheep is blind and self-centered. The coin is dead, so that's going to be a hard one to think about. And the son doesn't want any authority over him. He wants to be his own God. He doesn't want a God. Now, maybe you're not totally lost, but to some extent or some little bit of each of that is in us. You know, it, even if you're a Christian, there's still some of that lostness or a tendency towards it. Or at, t- at times when you're like, you could be my God on these days of the week, but on this day, I, I don't, you know, we don't ever explicitly say that, or maybe not often. We just kind of drift and go our own way and reject God. So it's good for us to stop for a minute and say, how am I like these three lost things? Or am I like the religious people that want to put others down so I feel holy in some way? Where would I be without God? That question is a really helpful one. Just play it out. Imagine God hadn't broken into your life in some way. Imagine he hadn't drawn you into his house this morning. Go your own way. Where does it end? Where, where does that path go? It doesn't end well for anyone. And yet, God is so kind and so good as we were singing. He, he loves us. He's so good to us. Once we realize his goodness, we become very bold in telling others. And I'll give you an illustration that, um, that was handed to me this morning. I just thought it was awesome. At the 745 service, there are 20 people in here. We're all kind of sleepy. It's early. And uh, um, a guy, maybe, I don't know, three months ago, maybe not even that long, um, two months ago, found out that on the, on the sound wall back there, we have these devices. It's a little hearing listening device. And it, and it gives you one earpiece to put in and a volume control. They're back there if you need them. All that goes into it is the spoken word, the pulpit and the spoken word up here. So you're not, it's not music, just the spoken word. And this guy started listening and he, and he's like, church is totally different for me now. I can hear everything. And, and he's commenting now on sermons. He's picking up on things. And so he's telling another, other people about it. And this morning there was another guy coming in and he said, you got to try one of these things. And he got one, he put it in, he took, the guy took his hearing aid out and put this thing in. And after the service, he was beaming. And he was like, I've never heard a sermon in this church before. <laughs> He's been coming for a while. This is it. And he says amen at the end. That's, 
That's what his experience was. And he actually said, you're a pretty good preacher. <laughs> I thought, I've been talking to you for how long? But see, the first guy could hear, and it blessed him so much, he couldn't hold back talking about it to other people. The same is true with the gospel. Once we realize what it's like to be found and what it was like to be lost and compare the two, we go, this is the best deal ever offered. I got to tell other people about it. That helps us. Now, let me close by sharing something I read in a, in a Chuck Swindoll uh, sermon illustration book. This is a fictitious dialogue. It didn't happen, maybe. I don't think it happened like this. It's between the angel Gabriel and the resurrected Jesus. After our Lord r- rises on the third day and then later ascends up to heaven, when he enters into heaven, he's got the nail marks in his hands and the angel Gabriel is there praising him for this. And he's looking at the marks and he's saying, this is amazing what you've done. You've saved the world. You've died for their sins. Who did you tell down there? Does everybody on earth know? And he said, well, my disciples know and a few others. And he said, well, how's the rest of the world going to know? And he said, well, I told Peter and the guys to to start sharing and to tell others about it. And Gabriel says, and what's your plan B? (laughs) Right? And Jesus goes, there is no plan B. Plan A is the only one I've got. That's my plan, to let the whole world know about what I've done. They're going to tell one another. And 2,000 years and running, it's still working. Plan A is working and you're part of that plan. So it only comes out of what we receive, though. You can't give what you don't have. It's once you've been found, just like the song Amazing Grace, I was lost and now I'm found. It, it's giving testimony away. It's being able to say, I know what my life was like. Here's what it's now like that I have the Lord in it. You should consider this. That's it. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and to enlist our participation in that. My prayer for you and for me is for boldness in inviting people to Alpha or directly telling them our testimony or offering to pray for them or bringing them with us to the things that we do, to church, wherever. Be bold. And if you're not bold, ask yourself why. And maybe go back to those three lost things and say, maybe I'm still a little bit lost. Lord, find me. Let's pray to that end right now. Lord, I thank you that you are so so gracious to us, grace-filled that you welcome us back with open arms. Lord, I do pray for boldness, and I ask your Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, wash over this church right now. Empower your people. Make us bold to give witness to you. And I pray for February 10th, that your house would be full, that people who need to hear the good news would come to Alpha. Lord, open up opportunities for us to invite and to share the good news. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.